let's jump into um, Genesis 42, and uh, let's continue in our study of Joseph. Uh, where we left off last week was um, was that, uh, and you, may, you most of us are probably somewhat familiar with this story, but um, we left the story off where uh, Joseph, who has been um, a slave for 13 years, 13 years he's been a slave in Egypt, and the Lord is beginning to bring him out of this place, this position of slavery, and, and the catalyst that God is using is um, Joseph is a man who hears from the Lord, God speaks to him, God communicates with him in a way that Joseph is very, very understanding. He has a perceptive and prophetic understanding of God's word, and then he would speak God's word. And uh, I think there's a lot that as we have studied and will continue to study the life of Joseph in our study of, in our greater study of Genesis, to, to think about the importance and value of hearing from the Lord. And, and the consistency that we're going to have in hearing from the Lord is simply spending time with God and opening his word and understanding that when we open the word of God, the word of God opens us. When we open the word of God, we can expect to hear from God. Joseph consistently heard from the Lord. And so the Lord ends up using Joseph to explain a crazy dream to the Pharaoh, which would have been the king or the emperor, explains this dream to him that he's had. And, uh, and, and in this dream, there's a prophecy that the, the, the empire of Egypt and the surrounding world is going to come under a great famine. There's going to be no rain. There's going to be no crops. And that's going to go on for seven years. But in God's kindness, that seven years of famine is going to pre, be preempted by seven years of plentiful harvests. And so Joseph speaks this word to Pharaoh, the king, and, um, and then the king responds very favorably. And that's where we'll pick the story up tonight. So, um, so uh, Genesis chapter 42, and we'll pick up in verse uh, 37. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. So, so let's think about this. Um, uh, Pharaoh, who is, we can assume pretty safely that he is an irrational and narcissistic person. And this is, this is pretty much common with people that are dictators and kings and potentates. You think about this. Think about, we did a study in Daniel. You remember how crazy Nebuchadnezzar was? Remember how crazy his granddaddy was? Remember how crazy them cats were? People that get in that, listen, humans cannot handle the, the power that is to be reserved for God, namely the worship of other humans. They can't handle that. And, and if you, like, if you follow, if you pay attention to people that receive almost like worshipful accolades, it always implodes them. We see this the most, I think, with pop stars and movie stars. How stable are most of those people's lives? Train wreck, train wreck. Like, like uh, a person that is worshiped by other people, that doesn't work, that won't work out. And so typically when someone is in authority or power and they're worshiped by other people, um, and a lot of that is like fear-mongering, they control people with, with power and, 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 and fear, um, those guys tend to be very narcissistic. That's, I'm, not just, I'm not just lobbing that comment out there. Let's not forget, this guy beheaded the dude who cooked his 
biscuits for him because the guy didn't get it right. Remember that part of the story? Or, or we don't know exactly why he beheaded him, but he cut a dude's head off. And so that, we know what's in his heart, right? He was willing to behead someone who was like in his faithful service. So not a guy that you want to mess with. But when Joseph gives him this prophetic word, Pharaoh responds favorably, and, and he recognizes something about Joseph that I think is important and helpful for us. He recognizes that Joseph's nature and testimony is not only is it not ubiquitous, not only is it not common, it's completely unique in Pharaoh's experience. Joseph is the first Yahweh follower that Pharaoh has ever met, we can presume. He's the first person he's ever met. Now, I want you to think about this. Imagine you meet somebody this week and you are the first authentic Christ-following Christian they've ever met. And you enter into a relationship with that person. That's a, that's a platform for ministry, isn't it? That's, that brings an incredible opportunity with it. And so, so, uh, but Pharaoh is, is meeting Joseph for the first time because we saw last week he didn't know who Joseph was. It wasn't like he had had time to watch Joseph and then Joseph had earned his favor. And I think there's probably a little bit of a lesson there where it's like Joseph wasn't being faithful to gain the favor or to earn the eye of Pharaoh. He wasn't like, if I be faithful, Pharaoh will see it and then he'll, like, it was not on Joseph's radar. Like, he's in the dungeon. It said he had to shave and take a bath. I mean, he stunk. He looked like, you know, death warmed over. And they had to clean him up to make him presentable to the Pharaoh. I guarantee you he went down there in that dungeon like, man, you know what? I'm 13 years into this gig. It's not so bad. And I just know that, I know that aim for the moon, and if you miss, you'll hit the stars, man. Like, you know, it wasn't like Hallmark sayings. He went down in the dungeon thinking, I know that just around the corner is my opportunity, and I'm going to end up being second in command over all of the free world, you know, like all of the, uh, like, Egyptian world or whatever. Like, I'm sure, like... He would, what was he doing day after day after day? He's just being faithful. Probably the, probably the biggest thing that young dudes ask me in ministry, um, and we have a lot of young cats that come through here in ministry, both in our internship here um, in the Institute, um, a lot of young men and young women that come through uh, who are in student ministry events, and a lot of guys in their, tw in their 20s and maybe early 30s will say, if you could go back 20 or 30 years, what would you say to yourself? And I'd say, just be faithful. Faithful to Jesus, faithful to it. Don't complicate the Christian life. Like, don't make it harder than it needs to be. Like, we look at Joseph. Joseph wasn't arguing theological doctrine. He wasn't arguing and debating. Like, he's just loving people and being faithful, practicing fidelity to Yahweh, being faithful to the Lord, like faithful to Jesus, faithful to others. Uh, like, and in that faithfulness, uncompromising. And you see there that, uh, that Pharaoh, rec one of the things that Pharaoh recognizes is he says, um, no, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. Like he recognizes Joseph's wisdom. I think that faithfulness to the Lord is going to, faithfulness to the Lord is going to be accompanied by humility. And you've got these different um, biblical principles, particularly laid out in the Proverbs, like where wisdom comes from the Lord, humility and wisdom are, are sort of, are, 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 um, 
are going to accompany each other. Like you're not going to see a person who's genuinely gaining and growing in wisdom, in the wisdom of the Lord, who doesn't have a fear of the Lord and a humility. Arrogant people are not wise people. They may be intelligent people. They may have accumulated a bunch of knowledge, but they're not wise people. Wisdom is accompanied with a couple of characteristics. One is humility and one is discernment. Discernment. A wise person is going to be discerning. A wise person is going to be discerning. Um, and I think that's important uh, as, as we think about what we can learn from Joseph. It's like, the, okay, the opposite of pride is not humility. The opposite of pride is a fear of the Lord. And a fear of the Lord produces humility. And humility brings with it wisdom. And wisdom under the hand of the Holy Spirit is exercised through discernment and discretion. And when Christians are operating with discernment and discretion, they're an encouragement to others, they're a help to others, God uses them in the lives of other people, and they grow more into the image of Jesus. And we see that with Joseph. We see this, this sort of, this, this wise man who has grown in wisdom while he was in, like, well, he's down in the, you know, in a dungeon. Now, right, let's keep going. So then, verse 40 says, uh, Uh, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall uh, order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Joseph said, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, all right, y'all bear with me here, uh, Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, or Potiphera, hmm? priest of On. I don't know funny names <laughs> so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt all right let's stop there for a second one of the things that I think is important as a Christian when we think about this idea of faithfulness is let's say that you walk with Jesus for 20 years let's say you walk you're, you're following the Lord you're walking with Jesus 20 years of faithfulness are you going to mess up in those 20 years yes are you going to mess up so bad that people will be able to look at you and say He's a hypocrite. He says he's a Christian, but he makes mistakes. Yes. Don't be afraid of that. What you need to understand is you're not going to live perfectly. I feel like sometimes people are so freaked out that they're going to mess up that they end up not living out the freedom that Christ has called them to live. Like, just love Jesus. Follow Jesus. When you mess up, humble yourself before the Lord. Recognize that you don't, like, you don't have it all figured out. And I've learned in my life that if the trajectory of your life is one of an upward tra trajectory towards Jesus, that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more opportunity God's going to give you. I've seen this happen three times that I always come to my mind where there were three different guys who I really had a burden for, but they wouldn't talk to me about the Lord. Like they were completely disinterested. And these are mountain guys, blue collar dudes. A couple of them I really prayed for a lot and asked God to give me opportunities to share with these guys. 
And it was, I want to say, it was about an average of 10 years of knowing these guys before they went through a hard enough situation that they didn't have answers to life's problems. And we end up with the tailgate down, sitting on the back of the truck, talking about life and, and the things of the Lord. But it took a, 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 a consistency over a decade, not that I got everything right, not that you're going to get everything right. You're going to mess some stuff up. But it even took them seeing me mess up and not be derailed by, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to mess up, but you just keep following Jesus and walking in grace and growing in grace. Sanctification, part of sanctification, which if you're new to the faith, sanctification is a word that the Bible uses to describe the way that God is shaping you more into the image of Jesus. He's making you become more like Jesus. So when you start as a Christian, God begins this process, and you'll see different descriptions of this in the Bible, that you are the workmanship, that he's created you for good works, or that you're being conformed to the image of Christ. And over the course of your life, he's going to shape you more into the image of Jesus. And part of that shaping happens around your mess-ups, your mistakes, you fail as a father, you fail as a mother, you fail as a student or a teacher or an employee or an employee. But over the course of your life, God will even use your failures for people to go, man, that guy, that lady, she's not got it all figured out. But I know one thing, there's something unique. There's something different. And then opportunities present themselves. I've seen this happen and it's crazy when it happens. The longer you live, I'll say this, the longer you live on that consistent trajectory, the more your mess-ups and mistakes will be forgotten by those people that might would have held them against you. People forget that, man. People just look at the trajectory of your life. So we've got in these verses 40 through 45, um, we've got what, what we might call the exaltation of Joseph. Now, exaltation from the Lord has clear characteristics. Wisdom, discernment, humility, those will be evident. So will strength and boldness and resolve. The Lord doesn't exalt someone in their pride or arrogance or foolishness or impulsiveness. He exalts someone in their humility. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message in the conclusion, that the Lord exalts us in our humility. We see these in Joseph. We saw these characteristics. Think about our study of Daniel. We saw those characteristics in Daniel like resolve. He resolved. Remember how much we talked about that? But Daniel resolved, and then he stuck with that. You know, he was a man of resolve. These characteristics are evident in strong believers who are willing to face mockery or cancel culture, ridicule, and just maintain joy and thankfulness to the Lord. You'll never please the world, Red Oak. You're never going to make people happy. Like if you follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and you hold fast to his gospel, you will never please the world. So stop trying to please the world. That would be the word for us. Like, not going to make people happy. Now, don't be, what I think we can learn from Joseph is, don't just be that obnoxious Christian who's dog-determined and willingly offensive to other people. Don't use your faith to be offensive. Just be faithful and consistent and know that that, that consistency, that God's going to use it. Joseph's been consistent for 13 years, and now we see him start to be exalted. It's interesting, uh, a few weeks ago, um, Spencer read uh, from Psalm 105. I want to read two verses out of Psalm 105. Spencer read this um, when he was talking about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and Joseph having to go from, you know, went from slavery to this exalted position. And so we've seen Joseph get exalted once in the world's eyes. 
but then he got unexalted. You know what I mean? He got demoted and sent to prison. If you think back to the story that we've studied, he got, he's a slave. No, okay, so here's Joseph's trajectory in life. Exalted by his dad. Remember that? 17 years old, the most responsible guy. We sort of blew the lid off the idea that he was a bratty punk kid that was throwing his brother's face. He was proving himself to be trustworthy at a young age. So his dad handed over great responsibility to him because he was the one dude that was trustworthy in the operation. <clears throat> so he gets exalted. Then he gets shoved into slavery. Then he gets exalted in Potiphar's house. Then he gets sent to prison. Now this is the, like there's this pattern. But here's the thing. God had exalted him when he saved him. So your exaltation, exaltation as a believer, that trumps everything. In, in, in poverty or in wealth, in health or in sickness, if you have been exalted through the saving work of Jesus Christ, that's what defines you. That's the defining characteristic of your life. And Joseph understood that. And so Psalm 105, listen to this. This is, I thought this was kind of cool. It just stood out to me when I was just reading and preparing a couple weeks ago. Um, Psalm 105, God had sent a man ahead of Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Now listen to verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. Psalm 105 describes a collar of iron that, like that a slave would have. And here we've got this scene. It's just a really cool picture of God not only exalting him spiritually, but the hand of the Lord's favor. Now he's having placed around his neck this medallion of significance. Like you see these little cool pictures of how God's doing this and not only exalting him, but, but giving him this position of status and influence. I think it's, I think it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting to read sort of the line by line through this of what God's doing with Joseph. Now, um, in verse uh, 46, it says that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered service. Now, at this point, at age 30, he's gone from age 17 as a slave to age 30, he's being put into the, like, like this position of status. And he's being clothed in, a, in, in, you know, in the king's garments, and he's got the medallion, and he's put in this really incredible position and given this incredible opportunity. I thought about, there's, a, there's this really a, 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 a small passage that has meant a lot to me in my life. And it's in the book of Zechariah. And there's this, uh, there's this priest and this priest is, let me just read it. I'm just going to read it. Turn to, uh, you don't have to turn. And I don't have, it's not going to be on the screen because I don't know how to do that. Um, that wasn't even a joke, but it is funny. Um, <laughs> I think we've got that slide for you. We got that slide, guys. Uh -oh. Sorry, I need to learn how to do that. Um, Zechariah, it's one of the little bitty ones. Give me a second. Um, Okay, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. This is a vision, by the way. This is a, a vision from the Lord. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. So there's this guy, Joshua, and he's the high priest in Israel. 
This is not Joshua that we know. This was a common name, as you know. So uh, the Lord shows him Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So you've got the high priest. This is the most spiritual position in all of Israel. And he's standing here and Satan is standing beside him. Satan's standing beside him, okay, to accuse him. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. I guarantee you Satan made accusation in Joseph's head and in his ears and through the mouths of his cellies when he's down there in the prison. I guarantee you every one of us has to deal with the accusing forked tongue lies of Satan every week in our lives, every day in our lives. You're not good enough. Your sin is greater than God's grace. You'll never amount to anything. That thing that happened to you when you were a kid, that's what defines you. Your addiction defines you. You're the, like Satan loves, you know Satan's native tongue is to lie and accuse, right? And so Satan's standing beside this guy. The problem that has dawned on me is I give in my own sin, I give Satan enough material, he ain't even got to lie about me. He can make truthful accusations. So now he just accuses me of things that are true. He can make accusations that are accurate. Verse 2, and Yahweh said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord, has chosen Jerus- the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So God says to Satan, hey man, you keep your mouth shut. I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know his sin, and I have plucked him out of condemnation. And now, right before your very eyes, I'm going to clothe him in righteousness, and I'm going to bind you and shut you up, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, Red Oak might get charismatic tonight because that's the kind of stuff over at the Assemblies of God folks might have a running spell about. (laughs) And that might be good. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Clothed with filthy garments. What is that talking about? Well, Isaiah says your righteousness is like filthy rags. When when you think of your own personal righteousness, the Bible would say it's just filthy. Like you don't have any righteousness. So there's Joshua. He's the high priest. He's the religious dude. He's the most, like he's the guy that people respect. He's the guy that's got it all together. And Satan's like, yeah, but you know, but you know. But you know, and, and Jesus is like, you shut your mouth, sets him over here, and he looks dead in Joshua's face. Man, this is a good word for somebody here tonight. I feel like, like so many people struggle with self-condemnation and shame and guilt. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of Yahweh was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. Listen to me. If you are in Christ, you have been declared righteous. Not because of your good works. Not because of your family name. 
not because of your status as a pastor, a leader, a teacher, a mama, a daddy, but because of the finished and completed work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. The reason Joseph was exalted was not because of anything Pharaoh said or did, was not because of anything the jailer said or did, was not because of anything Jacob said or did. As a young boy, the best we can tell, Joseph put his faith and his trust in Jesus and received the righteousness of Christ. That was his exaltation. That's his exaltation. So you get to verse 46. He's 30 years old when he enters the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went through all the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food in the seven years. Just, just like, uh, um, just like um, he had predicted or prophesied what happened. Um, verse 48, gather up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put this food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. As, okay, we, here we go, names again. All right. <sighs> these are not Southern Appalachian names. Were born to Joseph. Uh, Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. It's interesting, and I'm not, we can, we're not going to get into this. He marries, the, like, he marries the, the priest's daughter, but he maintains this Hebrew identity. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he names them. You see this. He knows God's plan and purpose. He's a Hebrew. He's, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, right in the middle of this cascading effect where Joseph is being exalted and now this constant outpouring of abundance in his life. I mean, he goes from dungeon to not only, I mean, he's wealthy. Anything he wants, he's got, but he's still a Hebrew. He's still displaced. He's a sojourner. He's a pilgrim. This place is not his home. He's attached to God's promise which is going to be fulfilled 450, 500 years in the future, long after he has gone. We are not like, this is not our home. We are sojourners. We are not, we are not citizens of this earth and this world and this kingdom. We are citizens first of a heavenly kingdom. But that is yet to be experienced and realized. So we see him name his boys in the Hebrew tradition. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Then when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So Joseph, um, as he says would happen, um, this famine comes. And something that stood out to me in verse 46 even, um, just these, there's these, this, this uh, story is full of these little moments where I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if that's in there for us to catch. Maybe, maybe not. But it, but it says in the ESV, it says Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The King James says when he stood before Pharaoh. A slave would be with the neck collar on all fours bowing. 
And now he's standing before Pharaoh. It's just cool, symbolic visual to me. It's so important to understand that Joseph's exaltation to the throne of Egypt was not his exaltation with a capital E. The big moment of his exaltation was when he put his faith and his trust in Yahweh. First Peter chapter 5 speaks to this. I want to I read this in our conclusion. First Peter chapter 5 speaks of the exaltation of the believer. Um, let, me, let me read uh, about four verses here. First Peter chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Imagine that Joseph could read these words, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen the bible teaches us that we are first justified by grace through the work of jesus everyone who humbles himself or herself this is the gospel will be exalted will be exalted in justification will be exalted in christ likeness in glorification which is the final step in the journey of the believer the Bible teaches that we are justified first. That's when we're made righteous before God through the finished work of Jesus. So when we call on the name of the Lord and we receive the gift of salvation, he declares us righteous like Zechariah said Joshua stood there and was clothed in those garments that were pure. We're then going to be glorified eternally. This means there's coming a day when there will be no sorrow, no suffering, no, no sin, no pain, no regret, remorse, hardship, or stress, or anxiety, or depression. Thanks be to God. The Lord exalts us even in this life. Think about this in terms of our daily exaltation. The Lord has promised that we can have victory over sin, that we can conquer and defeat temptation, that we can have joy in suffering, hope in turmoil. All of these are evidences of the exaltation that we receive in Christ. And let me give you these concluding thoughts that I think are so interesting. As we study this story and as we have studied it up until this point, the faithfulness of Joseph is constant. The sovereignty of God is constant, as it always will be. God's not going to stop being. God's unchanging. He's not going to change. The faithfulness of Joseph is constant. The sovereignty of God is constant. But the oppression and the conflict and the nation of Egypt and the Pharaoh and Potiphar and the brothers and Jacob and every circumstance surrounding Joseph is constantly changing. An unchanging and sovereign God takes a changing and fluid circumstance and bends it around his will to ultimately bring about his purpose and his plan. And for the believer, for us, it's the promise that God will always preserve a remnant. In fact, I love, uh, I love this idea as a main sort of main point summary for this story. 
God sovereignly controls the destinies of nations to protect and provide for his covenant people. God's going to protect and provide for his remnant. You can store up all the dry goods and canned green beans and dehydrated MREs you want to. But there's a God sitting on a throne that's got your future in his hand. You hear me? Doesn't matter who's president. Doesn't matter what wave sweeps this nation next month. None of that matters. We should be engaged and use the platforms God, give, God gives us and do everything we can. But at the end of the day, there is a God who is sovereign and he is unchanging. We have the opportunity to be consistent in our faithfulness. And the world is going to, you better believe the world is going to constantly change. And the longer we're faithfully consistent in the righteousness that he's given to us, the more opportunity that we'll have to proclaim and share the gospel. Endure difficulties and hard seasons knowing that the Lord will one day give you a better understanding of why things happen the way they do why things happen the way they do and we'll all one day have this perfect knowledge of how it all fits into God's plan imagine Joseph sitting around with his boys you know Manny I don't know maybe Manny Malachi we started calling him Mally apparently that's not gonna work which is understandable Malachi in here? She in here? Okay. Y'all know that the court gave us full custody this week, so you just be praying for him and be in prayer for that, for that whole family, and let's continue to look for opportunities to serve them and help them. Wonder what it was like to listen to Joseph teach his boys a doctrine and a, and a, and a truth that was contrary to the false teaching of their their maternal grandfather who was a priest imagine that conflict but he said this our God is unchanging and faithful and he's for his people and for that we can be thankful and we can rely let's pray Lord I pray that tonight you would put your faith and your trust that we would put our faith and our trust in the not only the finished work of Jesus but that our confidence would rest in the ongoing work of Jesus in our lives through the sanctifying work that you're doing. Lord, I pray that we would learn from Joseph, that we, would, that we would learn what it is to be faithful, to be consistent in a world that is unfaithful and inconsistent. Help us, Lord, to, to live out our faith, even with fear and trembling. Lord, to walk in humility, to grow in grace, to, to be people who live in fear and humility, not to be rooted in pride and built up in our own strength, not to trust in horses and chariots, not to trust in kings and deliverers that are earthly, but to fix our eyes on a sovereign creator who has a plan and a purpose and from the beginning of time has been raising up and preserving in every generation a remnant who would shine the light of his gospel, who would take a man like Joseph and plant him in a place like Egypt so that he might raise a nation up in the insulation of the Egyptian empire so that people wouldn't scatter and roam the earth, but so that they would grow in number so that when he moved them to the land he had promised, as we will see and study in the future, they would be a nation that he would call his own. Help us to understand that there's a mystery that surrounds you that we don't always understand in the moment what's happening, but I pray that we would all look back over the course of our lives, over the last year, over the last five years, over the last 50 years, whatever, 
and see how you've moved and worked and orchestrated events to bring us to where we are today. And I pray that our faith would grow through that. Lord, we rejoice and thank you over the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper tonight. It's, it's each month when we do that, it's such a blessing. And I pray that we would be mindful of why we do that. And then we thank you that we get to um, share in the celebration of baptism again after service tonight and pray that our church would continue to grow, but that we would grow in doctrine and truth and love and grace and fellowship and community and that we'd be a light and make an impact in this community and if there's somebody here tonight lord jesus that doesn't know you has no no concept of the gospel doesn't have a relationship maybe they're living under guilt maybe they feel like that guy standing there clothed in their own filth and hearing the accusations leveled against them i pray that tonight they would realize that to call on the name of the lord jesus is to be delivered from condemnation to receive your free gift of salvation and to be given your righteousness in Jesus' name, amen.